0: If you have your Bible handy, please turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke at verse 57. In Luke chapter 1, we have the account of the birth of John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who had come and prepare the way for his coming into this world. But before I begin reading the text that begins at verse 57, I want us to see two verses in this passage that show that this account is really about God. It's really a story about God. God is the main player here. He's the main character. Look at verse 58 of this first chapter of Luke, where it talks about the response of Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives to Elizabeth having a baby. It says in verse 58, Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. God displayed his great mercy toward Elizabeth. Elizabeth was barren, and as the King James Version puts it, she was well stricken in years. Uh, That's quite descriptive. Some of us are getting there. We're well stricken in years. Yet God displayed his mercy by giving her a son. God is the main player here. Now look at verse 66. In verse 66, we see how those that are living in the surrounding area and they heard about uh, Elizabeth and having the baby. And those who were, uh, witnessed it, they spread the word all over the countryside. And uh, this is how those who heard about it responded to it. Verse 66. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Luke writes, for the hand of the Lord was with John, with this child. You see, it's the hand of the Lord that the gospel writer wants us to see here when we read this account. This is God at work. He's at work in the lives of Elizabeth and Zacharias and in the life of their son, John. And as we're going to see, he's also at work in your life and mine. More than anything else, the Bible is God's self-disclosure. It's his own word on himself. More than anything else, the Bible is God's story. Behind Zacharias, behind Elizabeth, behind Mary, and behind John, and even behind the coming of Jesus Christ into this world, is the great and mighty hand of God. God reveals or discloses his nature, his character. He displays his works. He reveals his purpose, his will, In fact, at all points in the Bible, God is teaching the truth about himself. The Bible is the book of God. And this is what the gospel writer wants us to see when we read these verses, beginning at verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he began to speak the praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly Upon him. Here, beginning at verse fifty-six, we see the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Verse fifty-six says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home in Nazareth. The angel Gabriel had told Mary that Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy when Mary was, con- or Mar- when Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. So after Mary's three-month stay with Elizabeth which added up to nine months, uh, Mary returned home. So that means that more than likely, Mary was present for John's birth and returned home shortly after. But I want us to think about that three months that Mary stayed with Zacharias in Elizabeth. Zacharias was still mute and deaf during that whole time. We know from Zacharias' song of praise after his tongue was finally loose that we'll look at next time, that Zachariah spent this time in silence, this whole nine months, he spent it in in God's word. And we know that because when he finally, his tongue is loose, and he opens and gushes forth that praise, there's over 22 references from the Old Testament in Zachariah's song. 22 references from the Old Testament that gush forth from his mouth when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, God took that which Zacharias had hidden in his heart and he wove it in a tapestry of praise and prophecy. And that doesn't happen automatically. God took what was in Zacharias and used that through his Holy Spirit to burst forth in that praise. But Zacharias would also be troubled by the fact during that long nine months that he did not believe the angel when he told him in the temple, about Elizabeth bearing a son. So day in and day out for nine months, he suffered the consequences of unbelief. And he was unable to speak. He must have wondered, would he ever get his voice back? Would he ever be able to speak and, and praise God? Would he ever be able to go to the temple again and perform his temple service? Would he ever be able to speak Aaron's blessing over the people again? And Elizabeth and Mary also would have spent some precious time together searching the Hebrew scriptures. They would have wondered, what does God's word say about the Messiah and his forerunner who comes like Elijah? They would have wanted to know and understand everything that the Hebrew scriptures reveal about these two babies that they are going to give birth to. And of course, they would have also shared the normal stuff all those things that pregnant women talk about, all those birth stories that we men don't really like to hear. But they would have been anticipating what happens in childbirth, the rearing of children, the joy of motherhood, and what it's all about, uh, the discomforts that they were both feeling at the time. But uh, all in all, it would have been a great time of excitement and great anticipation. Pregnancy is always a time of great anticipation and expectancy. And for Elizabeth, that day finally came. The day God showed his great mercy in a way that everyone could see. Verse 57 again of Luke chapter 1. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. There had been promises, there had been prophecies, there had been discussion of that in light of God's word, and now there was an actual baby. And Luke is careful to tell us that this is a sign of God's hesed, his great mercy. Hesed is a Hebrew word that's one of those great words in the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, There's many biblical words that are related to hesed, words such as mercy, compassion, love, grace, faithfulness. But none of these completely summarize the concept of Hesed. Hesed is not merely an emotion or, or feeling, but it involves action on behalf of someone who is in need. When you see someone in need and you take action towards them, that describes Hesed. It's a sense of love, it's a sense of loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior toward another person. The word hesed is found 250 times in the Old Testament, and it expresses an essential part of God's character. When God appeared to Moses to give the law a second time, the Lord described himself as abounding or filled with hesed, which is translated in Bibles today as love, as faithfulness, as unfailing love, faithful love, steadfast love. Loyal love. In fact, loyal love was the favorite translation of my Hebrew professor at Dallas Seminary. Loyal love as we studied the book of Ruth together in the Hebrew language and we saw what loyal love is all about. The core idea of this term communicates loyalty. It communicates faithfulness within a relationship. It's a love that will not let me go. Thus, hesed is closely related to the covenant it with his people, God's people Israel. And it relates to the concept of love and God's faithfulness to his people. We sing today, great is thy faithfulness, O God my father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not, as thou hast been thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Exodus 20, verse 6 says that God lavishes his hesed for a thousand generations on those who love him and obey his commands. When Moses interceded for the people, he appealed to God's hesed, and he prayed on their behalf, and he said, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And Hesed, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And then Moses prayed, Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your Hesed, your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven the people from Egypt until even now. God's covenant relationship with His people is His loyal love and faithfulness. Hesed. Even when his people are unfaithful to him. Always at the heart of Hesed lies God's generous sense of compassion, his grace, his mercy, his loyal love to us. And so when the neighbors and relatives heard that the aged Elizabeth had given birth to a son, they recognized it immediately that this was the Hesed of the Lord. They fully knew what that meant. God had displayed his great mercy, his hesed toward her. The word translated displayed is a great word. It's megaluna. Mega. We know that that's something great. It means to make great or declare great. Mega greatness. God's mega greatness was declared in his hesed toward her. And Luke adds, and the neighbors and relatives were rejoicing with her. And, of course, that was a direct fulfillment, of what the angel had told Zacharias in the temple. The angel said to Zacharias, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. When the people realized that God had been merciful in this way, and God had showed his great favor, and God had demonstrated his great goodness to this old couple, who were righteous and who their lifelong wanted so much to have a child, they came and shared In their joy. Now it was the custom at that time to circumcise the baby and name him on the eighth day after his birth. Circumcision was the mark of the covenant, the mark that Israel was in covenant relationship with God. And we see this in verse 59. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Now, isn't that just like relatives? They were going to call him Zacharias. They had it all worked out. Since his father was named Zacharias, then the child should be named Zacharias. And they didn't really mean any disrespect, they they just assumed. In fact, the grammatical construction indicates that they're already calling him by that name. They were calling him Zacharias. There'd be Big Zach, there'd be Little Zach. As they came into the room and saw the sweet baby, Oh, there's little Zacharias. How cute. It was a nice gesture. Zacharias was old and little Zach would would carry his name. It was a nice thought, but it was a wrong one. So Elizabeth spoke up in verse 60. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. In the Greek, it's Ucha Allah. It's a strong Greek emphatic Absolutely not. Absolutely not, but he shall be called John. There's no discussion on this. This isn't a group discussion. Why did Elizabeth say that? Well, back in verse 13 of this chapter, when the angel came and appeared to Zacharias, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall give him the name John. John, why does this matter? Why does it matter what his name shall be? There were lots of prophets in the Old Testament named all kinds of different things. And God never got involved in naming the baby. Why John? Why such an issue? Why should his name be called John? God doesn't get involved in naming everybody. But God got involved in naming Jesus. And God got involved in naming John. What's the significance of this? John is a great name. It's a short form of a longer word, Jehohan. It's hard to say, Jehohan. Jehohanan. So it gets contracted to John, which is a lot easier to say. The first part of Jehohanan is Jeho. Jeho we get that's that's God's name, Jehovah. Jehovah, the name of God. The latter part means grace. John means God is gracious. God wanted the child named, God is gracious, because God's purpose through this child was to declare that through the Messiah, God is gracious. What you see in the story then is God telling us that he is faithful to his promise and that his purpose is grace, and Elizabeth as well as God will fight for that name because it identifies God's purpose for this child. But it seems that the relatives, God bless them, are also willing to fight for their choice of names. Verse 61. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. They didn't get it. Why not honor your husband? They probably thought Elizabeth had picked that name out of thin air. Was she overstepping her bounds as a woman? So they went over her head. Verse 52. Now remember, Zacharias can't hear and he can't speak at this point. He was struck miraculously by God and made deaf and mute. So what did this, the relatives do in verse 62? They made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. Now, as I thought about this, you know, I've never very, been very good at the game charades. You know, that game where they make gestures so people can guess words and, you know, and, but I chuckle at what it must have looked like when this whole crowd of relatives are trying to communicate with, John, with Zacharias with signs and gestures, uh, the Greek word indicates that the, they, they kind of beckoned or nodded or they made gestures or whatever it was. So you got all these relatives trying to figure out what Zacharias would think about this. Verse 63. And Zacharias asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. For nine months, Zacharias had been having to write down everything. In fact, the word translated tablet here is a word that only occurs here in the New Testament. It's a neat little word, and it's very descriptive. It describes a piece of wood or a board, and what you would do, you'd take a piece of thin board, and they covered it with wax And then they would take a sharp object like a stick or the point of a rock and they would write in the wax. Then he would rub the wax again and rub it out. And then it could be something that could be used over and over and over again. And so this poor guy had been lugging around his wax tablet board for months. And every time he wanted to communicate, he had to write it out. So he got his little board out and he wrote as follows. His name is John. No explanation, period. And they were all astonished. They didn't get it. They didn't understand why. On his little tablet, Zacharias didn't give an explanation. And by the way, he wrote in Greek, what he wrote was this. John is his name. And the Greek always puts the emphatic in the first place in the sentence, Sequence of the sentence, John, emphasis, John is his name. The boy was named by God and his name was going to be John. Because through him, the grace of God would explode in the world, right? Then a remarkable thing happened in verse 64. And at once Zacharias' mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. Zacharias' original disbelief in Gabriel's promise of a son had been replaced by faith. He had disbelieved, and now he has faith. And when he had been made mute because of disbelief, now on account of his faith, he began to speak in praise of God. And the content of Zacharias' praise is in verses 67-79 through 79 that we'll save for next time. We won't look at the content of that today, but if you, if you want to read ahead before next week read zacharias praise his psalm in uh, luke chapter 1 verses 67 through through 79 but what we see here I wanted you to see here for now is that there's a a growth in zacharias faith that led to this moment of praise his faith was strengthened when elizabeth became pregnant and he began to see the promise fulfilled his faith would have been strengthened when Mary came to visit and the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy and he heard Mary's song of praise. His faith would have been strengthened through that nine months in his study of the scriptures. But now Zachariah's faith produced obedience. Zachariah's faith produced obedience as he doggedly insisted that his name would be John that he was going to obey God. His name is John. This is so important. We don't want to miss it. The combination of Zacharias' faith with his obedience is what loosened his tongue in praise. His faith, his obedience, loosened his tongue, and Zacharias' tongue poured out in loud emotional praise. And this was God's power on display. There was no doubt in anybody's mind that this was of God. So if we want God's power to be on display in our own lives, if we want God's power to be on display in our own lives, what does it take? Well, it takes the same thing. It takes a combination of faith and obedience. Believe God, obey Him, and His power will be on display for others to see. It's really quite simple, isn't it? And all this brought a fresh state of spiritual health in that whole area, in that whole region. What was their response? Verse 65. Fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All those who lived in that area and heard about experienced a healthy awe, literally a fear. A fear, and awe in the presence of divine activity. They knew that God was at work. Today, we call that a God thing. That's a God thing. We recognize that something God did and something only God could do. It's a God thing. And what a neat progression here. There's the faith and obedience of Zacharias. Then there's God's power on display. Then all the people in the area were filled with awe and were talking about these things. And Luke closes this section by writing verse 66. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. It started to be talked about in all the hillsides of Judea. And it was kept in mind by all those who heard about it. Kept in mind. A similar word is used when when Mary uh, gave birth to Jesus and the shepherd came to to visit and they talked about what they had heard and seen of the angels. And it says, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Later in chapter 2, we see that when she started hearing about her child, she pondered these things. She It means she had a preoccupation about thinking about this. The people in the whole area began to wonder and a preoccupation of thinking about this is this it? Is the Messiah coming? Is this his forerunner? And it was on all their minds, and they were saying, what will this child turn out to be? Is it really the final prophet before Messiah? Is this it? And it became the the main preoccupation of thought and certainly the main topic of conversation as the wonder and the awe began to carry itself through the entire area. We see the wondrous power of God. He is wondrous. God put his power on display. He put his purpose on display, which is gracious. And he put his promise on display, which is always true. The main character of this account is God. The end of verse 66 says, For the hand of the Lord was certainly with John, with the child. It was with him from the very start. I want to close with three practical applications that we draw out of this text out of the life of of Zacharias. All three have to do with the remarkable change in, in Zacharias. And the first one is this. When God acts, we should listen. When God acts, we should listen. Zacharias had learned this lesson. When the birth was announced to him, he could not believe it. So the Lord gave him a sign for reflection. He was unable to speak until all was fulfilled. Then he would know that God does what he says. The birth of John shows the outcome of Zacharias' reflection. As a righteous man, Zacharias learned from his mistake. Through the pain of the discipline, he emerges a stronger man of God. Those who are arrogant and don't think they need God, they don't need any instruction, they think they know it all. They they don't see God work in their lives. Obviously, Zacharias is not an arrogant man. Zacharias shows us that when God acts, we should listen. The second application is this: it's all too easy to view one's spiritual life as something that can be mastered, rather than something to be maintained. It's all too easy to view one's spiritual life as something that can be mastered rather than something to be maintained. What do I mean by that? Let me explain it this way. Often we are tempted on the basis of past experience. Our past experience with God, and when we felt close to Him, and we saw Him work, and those kind of things, to to put our spiritual well-being on on con- cruise control. Oh, I've got it covered now. Uh, I've got this. That's a popular phrase. Thing I've got this. And we rest on the laurels of tradition, of activity, or something in our past. We keep going to church, we read our Bible, we go through the motions, but uh, we approach it with, I've got this. I've, I've, I've got it. But Zacharias was a man who had known the Lord for decades. A righteous man. And there are very few people in the scriptures that God describes as a righteous man. Offhand, I can only think of Job and I can think of Joseph, the father, uh, the stepfather of Jesus and Zacharias. These are men who had known the Lord for, for decades. But we can say in every one of these cases of these men, they still wanted to know God better and know Him more deeply. We'll see this in Zacharias' hymn of praise next time. That Zacharias portrays the reflections of a mature and pious man who still has much to learn about trusting God. He's a spiritual man who knows that one never coasts on the basis of past spirituality. God revealed to him through the sign of silence that the time to talk had passed. It was a time to listen at that time, to listen silently to God. And there's a direct application here for our own lives. If we don't seek out silence and solitude, we will probably not feel the stupendous significance of God's work in history in our lives. It's a rare thing to be gripped and moved deeply in a noisy room or working on a busy task. There's a close correlation between stillness and the sense of the stupendous. God says, be still. And what? Know that I am God. We all need to get alone with God. We all need to take that time and silence and solitude, shut out all the noises, shut out all the distractions, set them aside, You know, one of the things I do as a a spiritual discipline, as it were, is sometime on Saturday, I delete all the news apps off of my smartphone. I also delete anything that might give me a notification, even the weather channel. Because beginning on Saturday, I want to spend that time with the Lord, some precious time with God, before this time on Sunday morning. Sure, there's a time to talk to God There's also a time to speak and there's a time to listen. And lastly, one of the major lessons is that even if all his neighbors do not understand why Zacharias does not do the things the way they've always been done, he will walk where God tells him to walk. Even if the neighbors don't understand why Zacharias is doing something different than what's always been done, or what they want done. He's going to walk where God tells him to walk. In other words, for Zacharias, the pressure of custom would not become a reason to disobey God. We learn from the example of Zacharias that even when others around us don't get us, get it, and they want us to do things in a certain way, and they don't understand why we don't do the things the way they've always been done, or how they would do it, or how everybody is doing it we will still walk with God and do what he tells us to do and the lesson here is an important one peer pressure and the attitudes of the world can often make us act in ways that differ from where God wants to take us when I was a youth pastor this is the one of the things that I would most stress I would stress the most with with the kids I would tell them, don't succumb to the peer pressure, but walk in the way that God wants you to walk. And I put it very simply. If everybody else is doing it, then you should not do it. Definitely don't do it. And now that I'm old as Zacharias, maybe not quite as old, but sometimes I feel well stricken in years like they did. But I've discovered that the temptation is just as strong, if not worse, for adults. Even older adults who are set in their ways still succumb to the pressures of the world. Whether it's in the world's value system, or in entertainment, or the news channel, or the news channel we listen to, or in politics, or the way we do business, or the way we approach a pandemic, the world's ways are not God's ways. To listen to God and not the customs of this world is crucial to our faith, crucial to our spiritual life, to our obedience to God and our walk with Him. Because otherwise, we're going to listen to the world, and we're going to miss and lack what is the most important thing, where God put His power on display, where He put His purpose on display, which is gracious. Gracious. And that's not something we want to miss, right? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for this, this wonderful example from the life of Elizabeth and Zacharias and the, the birth of John the Baptist, Father. And Lord, we live in very difficult times right now and lots of stresses that seem to overwhelm us and a sense of lowliness and detachment being detached from other people, Father, and uh, relationships are strained, politics are strained, everything is strained right now, Lord. But we thank you, God, that your steadfast love never ceases. Great is your faithfulness. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that we would have the faith that we need to not only endure these times and to obey you, but God, in all of this, we will see your marvelous and wondrous power on display in our own lives and in those around us because we choose to obey you. We thank you for your chesed, your loyal love, the love that will not let us go. And we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen.